hi, welcome to Tales in Our Time. I'm Janet. Hey, and I'm George. Hey, welcome to the pod. Welcome to the pod. Yeah. It sounded um, like you were also... welcoming me into a pizza shop. It was great. Oh, pizza. Okay. No, I have my dinner. Well, I didn't eat much uh, dinner, actually. I got oh a no. stomach. But anyway. I distracted you. We're off target yeah, yeah. already. We're off target. Let's let's stay online. No. I mean, well, yeah, let's stay online, but, you know. Um, oh, forget it. We're focused. I know what I'm doing. Of course I do. Hello, All right. Welcome. welcome. Yeah. Uh, where do you want to start? Do you want to start with what we're reading? Check in, George? Or do you want me to go into the news? Um, Let's do... Let's do reading check-in. I want to talk about what I'm reading. I have to do a correction, actually. Oh. Uh, a few episodes ago, I was talking about the author of The House on the Cerulean Sea, T.J. Klein. That's not his name. His name is T.J. Clune. I'm very sorry, friend. Uh, I have just started Under the Whispering Door, uh, which is another one of his about a man who has just died uh and is you know learning to deal with that so far i'm not really uh i'm not far enough into it to know the full premise but uh at his own funeral he's basically picked up by this person who calls herself a a reaper and it's like oh okay where is this going but anyway he's a terrible bastard so it's gonna be fun to see him navigate the afterlife i love a terrible bastard Love a terrible bastard. What you are you can't... reading, Mum? So I'm still continuing to read uh, The Return of Fariz by Amina Ahmed. Ahmed. Oh, yeah, Fariz. Yeah. Um, I am enjoying it, but it's just taking me a bit of time because different things going on. That's all. The Return of Faraz Ali, was that? Sorry. Is that what? Yeah. No, yes. Faraz Ali, I'm sorry. That. I didn't type that all the way out in the notes for you. That's my bad. No, I, well, okay. I didn't type it all the way out either, so there you go. But yeah, the return of Faraz Ali by Amina Ahmad. It's a great book. It's a really um, because it really is my genre kind of thing. It's a it's a mystery detective thing based around the police, and so it's awesome. Um, I am hoping to finish it in the near future because I've got some new books arriving tomorrow that I'm very excited about. Have you? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I can't wait to get them out of the box. So, um, <laughs> oh, yeah. But, oh, yeah. New, new book time. Yeah. Let's finish one before we start another. Well, most of the times. So I don't always can't, do that, I'll be honest. Honestly, cannot relate. I have piles of books I need to read. Anyway, let's get off of that. What do you got for the news? <laughs> the news. Okay. So I've got a couple of things. Um, so there was an Asian American literature festival scheduled to be at the Smithsonian, Smithsonian Institution's. Asian Pacific American Center in Washington, D.C. I think it was meant to be the end of this month. It was canceled on the 17th of July because it did not meet the, and this is a direct quote, meet the institution's goals for an in-person event, according to their chief spokesperson, Linda St. Thomas. Um, I will say, though, that the people involved in that event, because there are people coming from all over Asia and all over this country, uh, for that event, have been scrambling to try and make sure there are still event uh, events going on, but they're going to be smaller and at different locations. So, yeah, so that's that. Yeah, I saw there's some stuff about it. Uh, the participants are like, 
we don't know that there was anything wrong with the festival planning. It kind of feels like the Smithsonian just decided to do this without talking to us. Yeah, that's how I read it, but uh, I don't. I don't know. I don't know their lives. Yeah, we shall see. Wait, hopefully, I like the. I love the idea that like smaller events can pop up sort of in the surroundings to facilitate the same need, even if it's not to quite the yeah. same level. And I think sometimes smaller, more intimate events can be more interesting for the audience. I mean, obviously, hmm. as an artist, you know, you want to try and reach as many people as possible. But I mean, hopefully, you know, they still get something um, yeah. you know, cool and fun. Fingers uh, crossed for them. Yeah. Do you want to continue with the news there a little bit, George? Yeah. So just uh, following up with our <laughs> sometimes on... <laughs> on time sometimes a little bit off time uh just keeping up with the fact that the white the writer's strike is still continuing it is the second week now with the sga also on strike we talked about this in our last episode but that is a huge deal there's so much going on in the entertainment industry right now and it is a reflection of the lives of all people who labor in the united states um it's huge and I'm really, it makes me very hopeful. Um, just for a bit of specifics, on Friday, we saw actors in London uh, come out with their uh, SAG after a brethren. Um, well, wait, no, sorry. They're the SAG after a brethren, pardon me. Um, but it's, it's nice seeing, you know, you, you love to see huge crowds of writers, obviously, um, and it is definitely the general pop that makes a strike successful but once you get the actors involved like the whole union involved do you start to like get that star power the recognition on the line and that's it's heartening after so many weeks of strike so on friday we got to see brian cox andy circus Haley atwell simon simon pegg imelda staunton um there's a bunch of other American actors, but to be honest, we're English, so we sort of pay attention to them. But they gathered in Leicester Square for a demonstration organized by the actors, the British version of Actors Union uh, Equity. So that's you know, just continue to hold the hold the uh, line. I'm really I'm really excited about it. <laughs> I can't I can't I not mean, be a little bit like yeah, yeah, and I I think. It's sad but true, but when you get, like, bigger names, names that, like, the general public can actually recognise, it does carry more weight. It, you know, makes people pay a bit more attention. I'm not saying it's right, but I, I think that is the case. Um, but I also read that there was um, some people, I think, in Los Angeles who who ran, like, um, you know, food trucks and things that often service the industry who are also now losing out because these people aren't working so in their services. So it is like far reaching as well, you know, yeah. and, you know, hopefully that will add some pressure onto those in power to actually make some changes. Uh, my final thing on news, cause I know you were talking, but I'm just cutting in right there. I'm uh, yeah, yeah, pushing in. You want me. Yeah. yeah like, I'm, I'm, I'm jumping the queue. Uh, um, on a brighter note, we are excited to be going to the book festival in Washington, D.C. on August 12th. Um, the books, my new books that are coming tomorrow are from two of the authors that will be attending. 
So um, I'm open to go and get those signed. I hopefully will have read them by then as well. And we've got like a whole posse of uh, friends and family going <laughs> with us. So we're, we're super pumped about that. Um, and that's all I have for news. What Do you have anything else? Have you got any news? No, I don't have any news. You know, I I love reading books and I love doing this show with you. Um, what are oh. we talking about today, Mum? Oh, so here I am. This is me. Today, everyone, it is romantic fiction or literature. Romance. And, oh, romance. See, uh, we. Oh, I'm not sure if that was supposed to be French or... Seaweed. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was a different accent than I normally have. That's just... <laughs> um, <laughs> moving along... It's a very English way to approach doing any kind of <laughs> European accent. Well, it's certainly uh, not mine. It's not British, no. Um, we're not speaking <laughs> the Queens. Oh, or the Kings, actually. Or the Kings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's gone back around. I, I feel like we're repeating ourselves at the beginning of every episode, but can we say the ancient bloody Greeks? Because, <laughs> you know, along with everything else, they they had romantic stories um, as part of the Greek mythology, which George and I talked about in previous e- episodes. Um, and so it did start with them, which is like, you know, 3,000 years BCE or before Christ, depending on your persuasion. Um so I'm going to try to set a reasonable pace because the history is quite long. If I miss anything out that you really think is important, oh well, sorry about your luck. But um, No, you can leave us a comment. You can now comment oh. on our Instagram posts. Uh, you can let us know what you thought of the episode. Please don't be mean, though. We are both quite soft. Oh, yeah. We're very sensitive. So if, if you can't say anything nice, as a priest I once knew said, don't say anything at all. Um yeah right yeah that is right um i think priests are like obligated to say that sort of thing though maybe maybe but regardless (laughs) um i am gonna try and move through this because there is a lot and as i say if i miss anything as george said you can always respond to instagram or uh tell me that i missed something crucial uh, so we are going to start with the ancient Greeks, with Greek mythology. Um, there were a few sort of, I mean, there's quite a long list. I'm going to read the list and then I'm just going to uh, sort of summarise one of the stories because otherwise we will be here forever. And maybe you go to sleep to podcast. Perhaps this will send you to sleep, but that isn't my intention. <laughs> we'll start releasing special uh, extended cuts where we just waffle for hours. <laughs> <laughs> I'm yeah, really good at snoring. Just saying. new accidental sleep ASMR. <laughs> just we fall asleep with the mic still on. Anyway, take it away, mum. What are you talking okay. about? Greek myths. So we're going to start with Greek myths. Uh, Three thousand to um, one thousand one hundred be- years before Common Era. Um, most of the romances that came up through that period were accompanied with a moral or a warning which, you know, kind of links into um, a lot of religious texts that we've talked about in the past. So, um, you know, things, ideas, processes repeat throughout time. Um, I'm going to read my list of romances that I picked out and then I'm just going to summarise. So there was um, Aphrodite and Eris. Aphrodite, goddess of love. Eris, god of war. Um, She was already married. Sorry, point of order, is it? That's Ares, I think. Ares? Yeah, just because 
<laughs> no, no, Ares. Ares? Because A- Eros, Eros is another one, isn't he? He's the Cupid. It's definitely not Eros with an O. So Ares then we're going to go with. All right. Wow. So, yeah, they had a thing. The public didn't like it, and so they were forced to separate. And that just goes to show you <laughs> should not be unfaithful because she was already married to... Who did I say, George? The god it's of... Hephaestus. Ah, that's the word I couldn't say. Say it again. Hephaestus. Yes, who was the god of metalworking. If I had a choice between war and metal, I'd go with metal every time. Just saying. But anyway. Build a house. How are you going to build a house out of war? Whatever. I bet the music was good. Anyway. Um, <laughs> so that was them. The next one was uh, Zeus and Europa. Um, Zeus, you know, god of gods, he just, you know, went and picked up winning like candy, I guess. But apparently Europa was a significant one of his um, relationships and he he kidnapped her and took her to live on Crete with him. And eventually she fell in love with him, which was lucky for him. But the, <laughs> the lesson there was beware of the draw of power and wealth, because obviously god of gods is all powerful. Next one, Orpheus and... How, what's this? Eurydice? U- Eurydice. Eurydice. Okay. Um, that's the one I actually was going to tell the story from, even though I did kind of summarize the other one. So Orpheus was that's, a musician yeah, and a poet and fell in love with Eurydice. Eurydice? Who was a beautiful nymph. I mean, that in itself, I, I would fall in love with a beautiful nymph. Just the words. I was like, oh, yes, they must be lovely. And they were very happy. <laughs> but Eurydice died from a snake bite. Hmm, bad luck. Stay away from snakes is what I always say. So Orpheus oh, that was went... The, that was the moral in this myth no. was stay away no. from snakes. It would have been my moral, but I didn't write it. So, um, so Orpheus went to the underworld to rescue her, but... He was given an understanding that when he did, he was not to look back at her face until they were back on the, um, I don't know, upper world or above world. Yeah, the surface world. The surface world, whatever. Um, And, of course, what did he do? You know, you tell somebody not to do something. He turned around, didn't he? He looked back at her as they were just getting to the end of their journey and he lost her forever. And the moral of that one was people will do anything for love, but also it warns against, um, you know, not being patient or trusting of people. So that was the moral. And the only other one in that section was Pygmalion and Galatea. But um, that's another story. So I think we've had enough of the Greeks because. Yeah, people will do anything for love except for follow the single rule that you lay out for them. So what happens after the Greeks then? Because I sort of I know about these stories a little bit, and okay. we talked about satyr plays, which are not romances. They're more like body tales of yeah. lust and yeah. nasty um, men. So that was um, now when the satyr plays was that before common era or after common era? Before common era, it was still okay. Uh, so into, that fell in, in with that antiquity. And I'm pretty sure that there was a lot of overlap with that sort of sexy, sexy feel to the stories and the romance. It wasn't always clear cut. Um, so that that's kind of kind, where... Kind of like today. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, you we'll get to that right. later. Yeah. So then we move on to um, 
the first and third century, one of the earliest stories, sort of renowned stories, was the story of Ninus. I'm sorry. Ninus, who was the king <laughs> of Ninus. Yes, God, what is your problem? He was the Ninus, Ninus, king of Assyria, who conquered Western Asia in seventeen years. That was a long, took ages, conquering trip. Just saying, um, and he. The story goes that um, you know he conquered Asia, and he had this um, his best friend who was one of his officers. And basically, he fell in love with this guy's wife, who was called Samiramis, and he just married her. Um, so obviously, people will do anything for love. Whether or not that crosses over into lust, I couldn't tell you, but um, that that's what he did. So that was an early one. Steal my best friend's wife for love. <laughs> yeah. And that's not copyright, because you changed the words. All right. Exactly. See, we're getting around it. Yeah. Um, so Menace so married Samantha's. What what happened? It just he just married her. It was well, all good. no. What he she was married to one of his officers. Yeah. And after he finished this, uh, you know, trip conquering Western Asia, he he put his I don't know what they would say, set his cap at or took a fancy to this officer's wife and basically just said, yeah, I'm having that. That's what I said. So he's just married her and then fucked off. Yeah. Yeah, sorry, that's yes, mental. absolutely. Yeah, that's what people will do for love. You do anything. <laughs> <laughs> Kidnapping. Kidnapping. <laughs> All right, go on then. So that's that's in the first couple centuries. Yeah, and moving after. on from there, some of the uh, recognized authors from that period were Charaton, Xenophon of Ephesus, Heliodorus, and these writers introduced uh, the component of what they call a roman d'aventure. And these are uh, faithful lovers. So it's, it's like this ongoing thing who are separated, whether by design or accident. And it kind of oh. takes us back to the Greek myth thing, you know, where it's all wound up in a big story. And, you know, that sounds super familiar. Yeah. I, and I think a lot of it is. Um, then, so we jump on a little bit because that was like, I just ended with the third century. We're jumping into the 11th century right now, <laughs> or the 12th century, 1150 to 1165. Um, there's an adaptation of an anonymous poem called Thebes about the Oedipus, Oedipus story called Thebes. And the, um, the adaptation was written by a Latin poet called Statius. And this uh, this author, Statius, took this anonymous poem and then made, kind of made it his own from the, the basic story of Oedipus. We know what Oedipus was all about, you, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Not listening yeah. to the G-dang oracles, Oedipus. Yes, Just, thank you for that. Brilliant. If you have people called future seer, maybe listen to them when they see the future for you. Yeah. Sorry, right. this is all just my theater education coming back to. I like it. I like it. I always like <laughs> doing theater. Um, so then they were moving towards strong love themes inspired by Roman poet Ovid, 
Who and I oh, like yeah. this. I like this line. He referred to love as a restless malady. So like love, being in love is like an illness. It can you know just overwhelm you, make you feel sick. Maybe that's why <laughs> I got tummy ache today. From. I don't know. Oh, you're so in love. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, so we're jumping around. Well, we're jumping forward. I'm always moving forward in this timeline, uh, people. I have got a timeline, but it might just not be as detailed as some people's. So, listen. then, go on. Well, what do you want to say? I can see you want to say I was just going to say, listen, sometimes it's not necessary to have that detailed of a timeline. I really enjoyed our comedy episode, but Jesus, I really, there were too many words. Yeah, Sorry, was, go on, go on. There was, there was lots of, of words, okay. <laughs> so, and there, there always will be, especially when you and I are involved because we talk like idiots. <laughs> um, so jumping on from there, 12th century France, it followed the Greek romances, developing romance as a genre in the context of aristocrats. So aristocrats at the time, such as Eleanor of Aquitaine, who uh, married Henry II and Louis VI, she Ooh, was a very, very influential queen at this time. And she and a lot of her uh, courtesans, you know, ladies in waiting or whatever, wrote romance for their own entertainment. Um, oh, that rules. That's yeah. the dream, right? Just you and the homies writing stories for each other. But she also, you know, sort of uh, manipulated situation to make sure that her son was always going to be king and, and all that. But that's sort of off topic sure. a little bit. Um, so, yeah, so that was that. Um, a little aside, uh, the word, I just want to jump out of the history in case you're getting too bored. What happened Ro to always moving forward? This is yeah. a scam. Oh, bugger. Well, yeah, shall I? <laughs> eating uh, your words. <laughs> uh, I'm joking. Oh, my words. Uh, 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 do you hear that? Oh, I'm still going to do this. Because uh, I forgot. Scary kind of ASMR. Yeah, go on. What so, are you talking about? Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. So I was going to talk about where the word, where the word romance came from. Um, in oh. early French, romance with a Z or a Z um, just meant uh, the speech of the people. Um, alternatively, in Latin, it was uh, meaning vulgar tongue, which in this uh, context could be misconstrued in all really, sorts of ways. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and in modern French, uh, Roman meant, or Roman, meant novel. Um, but oh. then romance in English, so as language sort of developed through all these different languages and then, you know, um, it literally meant love affair. So you kind of wow. jump from like a much more practical uh, definition of the word to one that makes sense to us today, but only because somebody hundreds of years ago said, this is what's going to mean. You're wrong. So, yeah, there we go. I'm very that interested by Roman being for book. That's just, it seems, it really, it, too perfect for us. You know what I mean? Uh, I mean, you know, there are words out there, George, you've never even heard of. Back to history. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go on. All right, so we're going to jump into the 12th or 13th century. So, um... Romance continued to be popular, particularly across France and Germany. Um, authors such as, and excuse, this is going to be horrible pronunciation, I'm telling you right now, <laughs> but Chrétien de Troyes and Gottfried von Strasbourg. Mm? I think that wasn't that bad. It wasn't too bad. 
But um, they wrote chivalric adventures intervo interwoven with love stories and religious allegories. So they took, you know, like stories from the Bible and then put them into like a story form, but also with a romantic uh, edge to them. I would love to say I've got an example of those. I think further down um, we do have some. Some of these uh, were like uh, stories from Alexander the Great kind of fell into mm. this time. And at the same time as this this um, aspect of this genre, which I really, really like. And I'm not sure if it's just in sort of theoretical academic circles that they refer to this. I read it somewhere. All right. Um, it's part of romance literature and it's known as The Marvelous, which I just love anyway. The Marvelous, period. I don't have to say anything else. That's awesome. But they say it's not essential in romance writing, but it implies the idea of something wonderful or miraculous. Stories that include fantastic elements like, um, you know, a story in Alexander the Great discovered... Um, marvels of India, including the spring of rejuvenation um, in the story Charlemagne. And the, oh no, no, spring of rejuvenation, period. Sorry, I'm reading from my notes. Do excuse me. Don't always put punctuation. <laughs> and then the character of Charlemagne conquering Spain at the age of 200 years. You know, not terribly realistic, even in those days, certainly not today. But this is like that aspect of the marvelous, which I love because it means that, you know, writers can introduce all these fantastical aspects to their stories, which people, you know, throughout the ages, myself included, just adore. I love them. What, also, why wouldn't you want to just like say, and and just before my story's over, a pinch of the marvelous. Ooh. Yes, I just want it to just drop feels in a little. so good. And, and I think moving on... Um, we there there is an author who definitely took full advantage of that i don't even need to mention his name because he pops up as much as the ancient bloody greeks do but anyway just jumping on a little bit with our history so the 14th 16th century saw a growth in the romance genre across europe um many writers were influenced by the whole arthurian adventure of the previous centuries you know that idea that there's a goal and you have to get the treasure and you go back victorious and you will you know win the girl at the end of the day there's something marvelous there too because it's like slightly magical absolutely absolutely um and so uh but mm -mm, where was i reading yeah so they were influenced by the arthurian adventures um case in point sir gawain and the green knight as well as chaucer's canterbury tales um and I'm going to say the man's name because William Shakespeare, Romeo and Juliet. I also think of um, Midsummer Night's Dream for the fantastical mm. or for the marvellous, mm. should I say, because that had, um, you know, romance running through it and lots of the marvellous. So. And a lot of the Roman d'Aventure as well. Shakespeare loved to separate lovers by design or accident. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So... Um, Moving on past that, so towards the end of the 16th and beginning of the 17th century, this romantic idea of knights, the knight's tale, was waning in popularity um, because, like, the classics came into being and a more intellectual sort of viewpoint of uh, stories was kind of becoming more pervasive. Um, mm -hmm. 
you know, like in France, the writers felt, you know, that there was a need for more reality in the story. You can throw away the marvellous. You know, it's got to be like similar to real life. I don't know whether I believe agree with that, but, you know, that's what happened. Um, <laughs> and I, do you know what? I think I've done really good for... Oh, no, I'm still going on. Um, I'm not doing bad for time, though, just saying. Um, no, so, you're doing so good, you had to stop and mention it. <laughs> just, yeah, I did. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> um, so this form lingered in later centuries, 18th, 19th centuries, today's romant uh, romantic novels... Um, you go back to the 1800s with um, Charlotte, Emily, and the other one. <laughs> Anne. Bryson. Anne. Oh. Charlotte, Emily, and Anne Bronte in the mid-1800s. Um, books such as Wuthering Heights, Jane Eyre. Wuthering Heights is my favourite um, romantic story of all times. And some people don't even like it, which I can't believe, but... I really do. It's one of the few <laughs> books I've read more than one time. So there you go. Um, and then you've got like Pride and Prejudice by uh, Jane Austen. And then this one. So this is a poem mm -hmm. by Edgar Allan Poe, 1849. Mm -hmm. It's called Annabelle Lee. I remember reading it as a child and I think it actually made me cry. Um, so it's not oh. prose. It is poetry. But it does definitely tell a story. You know, this guy falls in love with this girl. She gets a chill. She dies. And he goes, you know, in being overwhelmed with grief and sadness, he um, goes and lies down next to her grave. And that's kind of the end of it, you know. And and it's constantly referencing all the way through the beautiful Annabelle Lee, the beautiful Annabelle Lee. Um, mm. But it re obviously really struck a chord with me. I think it was the death concert sort of. Um, component of it that struck me as a kid, you know, because yeah, I think maybe that, a bit much. Yeah, but um, so so that was eighteen forty nine. You get into the early twentieth uh, century with D. H. Lawrence, uh, couple that just spring to mind: women in love, uh, Lady Chatterley's lover. Here's the thing: D. H. Lawrence, I don't think, and obviously we've talked about you can love the work but not the author or whatever I don't, I don't, i'm not sure if dh Lawrence is a perfect person but i did love his books when i was sort of in my late teens um but this is something else that's kind of having researched this become pertinent it's like you know there's there's a fine line between like smut and 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 sort of like just pure sexy sexiness and what <laughs> romance which i always feel is more inferred having said that you know during the early uh, 20th century even the smutty stuff was mostly inferred though it wasn't terribly graphic i'm sure there were mm. books that were graphic but you know 30 odd years ago when i was a younger person um i wasn't allowed to read them <laughs> so yeah so that brings us that's kind of my history really to be honest with you um Oh, is that all? It's that that that's that's the past, man. That is the past. That's all. That's all in the past. That's all in the <laughs> that's past. That's behind us now. So I don't want to talk about it anymore. But what I will say is, as is often the case since George and I have been researching different genres of literature, um, 
there is so much more to it than just a bloody book you read at the end of the day, right? Where it came yeah. from, it's, its journey to, to what we take for granted today. Do you want to go into the present? I mean, we've, uh, yeah, we've talked I, about so much history. We could do a bit of reflect or we could, you know. Yeah. Okay. I just want to say one thing before we scoot on because of Annabelle, Annabelle Lee. The way that like the gothic and very gothic romance have like very similar, you know, they want to reach beyond the human, you know, they want to reach into that extreme. And that's I really do. I like Edgar Allan Poe more as a character than as a person or writer because he's just he's just such a he's so consistently a little spooky bastard creepy isn't he? bastard yeah and didn't yeah. you say this when we did the horror episode that there was this sort of crossover into kind of whether it's sexy sexy or romancy romancy type um genre that there is definitely a crossover there so okay did you want to add anything else george about the history of no I to be honest, I uh no, I, I'm good. I like I I'm really interested by how much of it you know, this is always the case whenever we start researching things. Mm-hmm. I'm interested by how much of it has been um like what's the word? Uh like theorized, like turned into you know, the fact that we A can textbook. talk about Yeah, we can talk about Roman Daventure, we can talk about the marvelous or like Arthurian legends. Like, I, romance is definitely more than what I previously thought it was. And while horror might have been not quite your arena, uh, likewise, uh, romance is not quite mine. I mean, romance isn't quite mine, I'll be honest. I mean, I read books with, like, romantic threads running through them, but I would never Mm. pick up. Although, uh, again, I'm eating my words. But... um, (laughs) You know, the likes of the Jane Austen and the um, Brontes and those sort of things that I always read more than willingly when I was growing up just because, you know, they were there. They were asking to be read. Yeah. They were asking for it, yeah. So. And they're beautiful. And, they're yeah. amazing books. Like, you know, I, I won't go so far as to say I don't understand how someone could not like Wuthering Heights, but I will say that I think it's fantastic. It's also a great song by Kate Bush. Also true. Yeah, we don't we don't have tune in next week for (laughs) tunes in our times with George and Janet. We continue to come up with bloody (laughs) podcast ideas. One thing, one thing at a time. Okay. All right. Well, then, yeah. Bring me into the present. Into the present. I think. Okay. Well. Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna jump just. So when I was researching this, I came across lots of lists on different websites of publishers and, you know, um, bookstores and and different things that were quoting um, lists of like the highest grossing or best ever selling romances ever written. But they every time I looked at a new one, the list was either longer or it, it was different or it only included books from the last 10 years or so what I did was I picked out a few common threads and then threw in some of my own. And I'm hoping George maybe will do the same. So um, so some that came up repeatedly. Now, these two first ones come up repeatedly. <laughs> I am not convinced 100% that I would call them romances. I don't know what I would call them. But I don't know if I would call them purely romances. So the first one 
um, was Lolita by Vladimir Nabokov in 1955. Crazy, crazy talk that this came up on that list. Yeah, I mean... A list, any list, multiple lists. That's, I've, you know. I've read that book, and I'm not surprised it was banned when it, it was first published. Um, even though the subject matter is and was probably quite distasteful because it was this man lusting after this, um, you know, sort of pubescent young girl. There wasn't a lot of graphic uh, description in there. So I, although I, I don't know whether it was a book that had to be written, it does appear on a lot of lists. I don't know whether it's a romance either. Really, I think it's just uh, some person just writing out their fantasies of young girls i, I don't know I don't, that's an opinion <laughs> who knows and the other one that's appeared on a bunch of lists which i no i didn't read these books actually um the 50 shades of gray books by el james which i think the first one was published in 2011 again you know, there is definitely a conflict there because, you know, you've got this man who doesn't know how to love without beating the shit out of his woman. Um, so that's their conflict. But they, they still Jesus. want to be together. They still want to be together. Um, is is it that a romance? their conflict? That's their conflict, yeah. Because he, oh. he, he wants a relationship with her, but he wants it within these boundaries. And a lot of those boundaries are sort of like, you know, to do with, um, you know, oh God, what are the words for it? Like, you know, sadism and masochism. So I don't know. I mean, maybe it's just a different backdrop. I just don't know whether it it comes across to me as romance. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. You know, and I'm yeah, sure. I, I don't. Feel, I don't really feel that way with either of those books. I, yeah. It just like I wouldn't say. I wouldn't go so far as to like call them outright smut. Not because smut is an insult. I think it's like important to recognize that smut has been a part of literature as long as literature has existed. You know, we already talked about the Seder plays. Mm -hmm. um, but it, uh, not in the case of Lolita, but in the case of Fifty Shades of Grey, it does feel like the goal is more titillation or action as compared to like this great conflict. Because I don't think, I, I think after not too long of a time, they sort of get on the same page with the BDSM stuff. So I don't know if that's a good enough conflict for a book. No. Then again, what do I, you know, what, what do, do I know? know? I've never written a book. Uh, no. Well, you're kind of right. Okay. That's another story. That's your story. Um, <laughs> so then, so those were a couple that did appear on several lists. Either um, they were the highest selling or somebody considered them to be the best stories ever written so that was why i pulled them out uh some of the other books that i saw uh routinely appearing on these lists pride and prejudice by jane austen from 1813 that's a great story i don't know how anybody could dispute that one um one that does appear a lot is the notebook by nicholas sparks which was published in 1996 i've read that i think book that one too. is that is a romance that is right? definitely a romance um, I know it was made into a film. I'm not sure if I saw the film, but I know that the book did have me just reading right through it. So, yeah. So kudos to Nicholas Sparks. Well done. Um, and then, again, <laughs> yeah. we're going back. Kudos in, to you from us. From us, yeah. We send you out love. Um, 
Going back in time, Jane Eyre, Wuthering Heights by Charlotte Bronte. Uh, Wuthering Heights, as already mentioned, is my favourite romance. So um, another one that appears... Is it your favourite? Uh, shall I tell you what my favourite is, George? My favourite... What's your favourite, Mum? It's Wuthering Heights, isn't it? Um, oh, I thought it was going to be... Um, uh, what you call it? The Brothers Karamazov. Wow, you didn't like that one. Okay. Yeah, okay. The Brothers I really Karamazov. thought it was going to go. Ah. I'm just want. I just want to get to the end of this list because I've got more to say. I've oh, got so much to say. Oh today. gosh. Oh, have you got lots to say? Go on then. Um, and so another one that routinely appears on these lists is "Gone with the Wind" by Margaret Mitchell from 1936. I haven't read that. Um, I don't even think I've seen the film all the way through. I think it's a really long film as well, uh, with Vivian Lee um, and himself. What's the male lead in that? Oh, I see his face. And I can't remember his name. Which one is it? Uh, Gone with the Wind, dark hair, moustache. That's tight all pants. of them. That's all of them. I don't remember the male lead, but you know, it's Clark Gable. Clark Gable, of course, it was. So, um, so that one appears a lot. Um, I can only, I, I think, from what I do know of the story, it definitely is a romance, and um, you know, I guess some people like it because it's on a bunch of lists. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know that, that is how it. they work yeah um one and now i'm sort of jumping up to more modern times because this is a book that uh has appeared on some lists and i am aware of and was only published in 2007 uh call me by your name again another one that was made into a film by andre now i don't know if this is ackerman or Asaman or a seaman well anyway that guy apologies for any mispronunciation as always um, I know that the storyline for that is really, really tender and is is definitely a romance. Um, yeah. And it's also something that we we always sort of touch on in our podcast, I think. It addresses a diverse population because it's about a um, a gay relationship between this young man and this older man. And ultimate, well, maybe I won't spoil it because I won't say the Don't anything. spoil it. No, spoil, spoil it. it. No, 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 no. But it's a great story anyway. Um, George, did you want to bring in some of the more current uh, romances that you were um, <sighs> listing? I don't even know any, mate. My problem, I, I really, I, I want to read more romance because it does. I find I can take it much more genuinely now than uh, I ever thought I could. Mm -hmm. um, you know, certainly growing up, it was sort of stereotypically not the genre for me, just because of like toxic masculinity and stuff oh, but oops. um but i no seriously but uh i do you know i we've talked in the past about the seven moons of mali almeida um i that one has a great love story in it um i'm a big fan of fantasy stories that have love stories in them like priory of the orange tree by samantha shannon or uprooted by naomi novik those both have excellent romances that really like got me to understand the genre in a better way. Um, and then I just want to talk about two other ones. One because one specifically because it's uh, written by a black author and something that you had mentioned to me in your preliminary research of this. Uh, I don't want to, I don't want to misquote you, but it's, it's, is it most novelists or most successful ones that are most well known are white women yeah so you know i just wanted to bring up um 
Ta-Nehisi Coates wrote The Water Dancer, uh, which was an excellent, excellent book. Um, and it's from the perspective of a black man. Uh, he is escaping slavery, and there's like a whole bunch of other worldwide narratives going on. But one of the narratives that keeps the character grounded the whole way through is like learning to love in a healthy way. And he has his beloved who um, he sort of strives and survives for through these horrific trials, you know. Um, And it has a bit of the marvelous as well, which I think is fantastic. Um, So that's the water dancer highly recommend and then this is how you lose the time war um that's a book written by max gladstone and amal el motar uh it is written by two authors each of them taking a different character Whoa. uh one is red one is blue and they're basically agents of the time war trying to fight against one another to conquer the timelines the conceit is so highbrow that you almost get to throw it away immediately you know what i mean and instead what you get is these two super human secret agents one who works for like the garden all things natural and like you know in their own time and the other works for the oh i don't remember what it's called but it's like the army you know the industry side of things that's so red and then blue um and essentially what they do is because they're the best of their games they leave letters they leave these impossible letters for each other to find in these like very interwoven time missions uh and it i mean it ripped my heart wide open it is that one is a love story so that's what's been making me I wanna I wanna get into it more, but I, I just don't I don't really know where to start. I think this is giving me a big help actually. Yeah. Um so so we we picked a bunch. I mean I think one that I haven't mentioned and I don't know the name of the author is The Time Traveler's Wife. Um I did read that oh, yeah. when it first came out. That is if I remember correctly, is quite a moving um story because you know, is this guy who's bouncing around and, you know, which includes an aspect of the marvellous, I guess. Um, but, you know, their relationship has to kind of work through all the other things that are going on. And that was something else I was going to say about romance, like like many genres, I guess. But is that, you know, features of a romance and people, you know, two individuals meet, um, they're attracted to each other. You know, maybe there's three people involved. Who knows? Um but there's some kind of conflict to developing a relationship and then maybe there's a solution at the end. It might be that they separate, it might be they stay together or whatever, but that's the sort of general journey. But it can be set against uh, the background of any other genre. So like you were saying, you know, it can be sci-fi. You see historical romances, you see horror romances. And so um, I think that's one of the great things about it is although that we're trying to focus on um, purely romantic stories, you can put a romantic uh, storyline through pretty much any, any genre. Um, and with that, the other thing I did want to touch on, um, did you do feel like you could jump in any time, George? I don't want to. Well, I don't, yeah, I don't know what this thing you want to touch on is. Well, I'm a little, so now I'm nervous. I, I was going to jump in. But... <laughs> well, I just wanted Pardon to talk me. about romance writing industry, really. Um, the aspect of pulp romance. Um, oh, yeah. Right, so 
when I was living in England, I was aware of publishing a company called Mills and Boone who only published romances. They were very um, simple, straightforward, short, um, and they were very formulaic. When I came to America, um, through, I don't know, just talking to people or whatever, I became uh, aware of the Harlequin Publishing Company, which is actually Canadian, and they started in 1949, and basically they stole stories from uh, the UK and from the US and sort of rebranded them, republished them under their own name, uh, Harlequin. And then they went on and they bought the uh, British company Mills and Boone in the 1970s. They also took over um, the Simon & Schuster's romance division, which was called Silhouette in the uh, mid-1980s. And this company oh, now controls 85% of romance novel sales worldwide. Um, huh. I just thought it was kind of interesting because it, it's it's a it's a branch of literature that I've always kind of got. Don't read that shit. That's like silly, <laughs> silly literature. That's not even you know. And but the, you know, like I say, they've got a format. They only have like a maximum of like 192 pages per book. Um, they have like, you know, their writers follow this format. There has to be this, this, and this. Um, something controversial is that the I I am not sure this is still true, but. For the longest time, the authors didn't own the content the company did, so they didn't get royalties mm. and things. They were paid for one-off. Um, but I thought that was kind of interesting about them. Um, and also, as the world changed, sort of like, you know, late 1970s, early 1980s, some social commentators did predict that these kind of romance novels, sales worldwide were going to... Well, not worldwide world wide <laughs> world weary we're going to dip they were going to drop off because people you know were more about equal rights for women and diverse populations and fighting mm. for real issues and that you know this kind of for want of a better word pap you know is my word <laughs> um was just going to go down the toilet and the funny thing was that over period um oh wait, i'm just thinking and trying to speak at the same time. Um, but it did actually didn't happen. Tricky it, stuff. It increased. And these sort of books are most popular with 39-year-old middle-income women and female college students. And at one point, the age range for these kind of readers was 35 to 54. Within um, the last decade, that has changed from 18 to 54-year-olds. Um, and then the theory is oh. that, you know... Women are looking for some kind of exotic escapism from reality, and what? Why yeah. would they? And the, why would they the, need that? Who knows? That romance <laughs> dressed up in sense. like you know bulging pecs and tight pants is what it's all about. Well, 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 well. Hey, now. Well, okay. Then we mind. have to do a separate episode for smut. Yeah. Okay. No offense, but I can't do the smut episode with you. Either one of us, one of us has to go. Okay, fair enough. Bring in a guest host. So, with that said, because we always sort of, you know, move into the future, uh, it has also been noticed that romance is a big hit with the Generation Z or Generation Z. I don't know who they are, but um, because they <coughs> also appreciate that opportunity to escape 
a very challenging time which they've grown up in, you know, things that have mm. happened over the last couple of decades. Um, and modern yeah. writers have sort of like fed into this by reflecting, um, you know, real life experiences and relationship situations in a way that allows um, young people to to relate to those expressions that they themselves might have been finding difficult to articulate. And we've talked about that before, about seeing your situation or your person in print and how that can help you work things out. So, you know, I think, yay, romance. It, it's, you know, it, it's, it's really, it's a lot more, has a lot more validity apart from like the classics that I was into when I was a teenager. Um, as a genre overall, I think it's got a lot more validity to it than I even gave it credit for. Last thing I'm going to say, and then you can tell me what you think. <laughs> oh, listen, I'm just standing here ready to jump in at any moment. Well, you're so with your bit. regardless of how broad it is, um, how much money it makes, and what the scope of people who read romance novelists, rom top romance novelists are still white women. And, and I, did you say this already? Am I repeating what you just said? No, we were talking about it earlier when I mentioned Sana Hesse Coates, because this was something that stuck out to me when you first told me about the research you were doing into the genre. Yeah. So they're still, you know, mostly written by white women or, or the top performers, let me say, because there is a lot of diverse right. romance out there. You just have to go looking for it. But even with that in mind, when I was looking at diverse female authors from, you know, different backgrounds and everything, they're still mostly women. Mm. I would be interested to see, you know, aside from freaking Edgar Allan Poe, um, some man <laughs> who's written a really effective romance story. This is how you lose the time war. Max Gladstone. He wrote a <laughs> half of that. Yeah, okay. That counts. Fair play. So, yeah, I think that romance um, is a lot more valid, like I say, than I gave it credit for. And it's definitely, you know, is going to remain a mainstay going forward, in my opinion. I mean, I look forward. I hope I hope some people have some suggestions for us, honestly, because I do sincerely want to up my consumption just to be able to. You know, the whole reason you read more is to be able to recognize when it's good. Yeah. You know, like that. to be able to appreciate a really, really well-crafted piece of anything. That, that I, I love that, George. I just have to say um, the fact, I mean, because I know that I've said in, in previous episodes that I ha am trying to sort of diversify my library and, and the stuff that I read instead of just my bog standard authors that I know I like. But um, but I think that is such a valid point is the more we read, the more we um, can actually make a valid critique of what's good and what isn't, you know. So um, yeah. thanks for that, George. I take that from you. Thank you, Mum. Great job. Thank you for teaching me and, and hopefully some more of us so much about uh, romance. Romance, I just, uh, yeah. I want to say before we wrap up, uh, just given a few shouts to some of the people who have been responding to our episodes so far. Very lovely of them. Um, uh, a mention of how charming my mum is. I Yeah, I'm fully aware. Oh, I, I am. am just writing. I'm so charming. I'm, 
I'm just riding on her coattails for this Who whole said show. That? Um, uh, a few people actually. I won't. I won't name them because it's weird on good, air. Good, but good, you know, good, 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 good. Um, <laughs> uh, but just you know, it really it means a, a great deal to us that you, if you listen, um, if you have uh, any any thoughts about books that we should check out or or things that you want us to maybe do an episode on, feel free to message us on Instagram. Um, we are thinking about getting a Discord set up, so maybe we'll talk about it then. But uh, any opportunity to get book recommendations, we will take. Um, so I also just wanted to um, give a plug to a, a podcast that's been longstanding. I've only just discovered it. it goes back to two, uh, 2014. It's called oh, yeah. uh, Pop Mom. It was recommended to me by my other child and um, their, <laughs> their partner. <laughs> Both recommended it to me. So I finally started listening to it. And um, on one of the episodes, and like I say, they've been going since 2014, so they've got a lot of episodes. So this is going way back, so we've heard of this book. Well, good for you. But they recommend a book called Convenience Store Woman by Sayaka Murata, which is written Ooh. about this um, 30-something-year-old Japanese woman um, talking about her experiences fitting in. She works in a, a convenience store, and um, they really recommended it. I'm actually going to look out for that one, so... Um, yeah, Thank you too. to them for that. They that is yeah, also shouts out mom pod. Yeah, it's another mom son podcast. If you don't know it, um, it is quite funny. <laughs> um, We're just all gonna form a big media. Uh, yeah, 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 absolutely. So, um, but I did want to throw that out there because I've been listening to that. Um, what was I gonna say? Oh no, I think you said it all, George. Said it. I think all. there's only one thing left to say. Ciao, baby. Okay, I was going to say go out there and tell some tales. But oh, also, that one too. Ciao, baby. <laughs> go <laughs> go out there. find some you romantic tales. Go find your romantic tale if you don't already have one. You know, and you want one. Obviously, I mean, don't, you know, don't just. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> for any reason. <laughs> Somebody might be upset if you go to find some romance and, and you didn't even want it. That would be silly. <laughs> okay, time to go. Oh my goodness, this is so long. I'm sorry I got on for such a long time. All right. It's okay. I appreciate how much history you researched. Um, good night, everybody. Good night. Thank you for listening.